Welcome to FEPS Talks, the podcast series of the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. Find out more about us on feps-europe.eu. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of FEPS Talks. I'm Justin Ogrede, the Digital Policy Analyst at FEPS, and today I will talk with Christel Scheldemose. She's a member of the European Parliament's Committee on Internal Market and Consumer Protection. And most relevantly, she's the rapporteur for the Digital Services Act, a proposal from the European Commission from December last year, and also the topic of today's discussion. Now, the Digital Services Act is a seminal piece of legislation, or it will be. And why? Well, to explain that, I need to give a really short background to the internet. So 20 years ago, the EU adopted uh, what's called the e-commerce directive. And this regulates, among many other things, also online services. And of course, 20 years ago, uh, the internet was very different. So the services were mainly passive, you know, giving people access to the internet, providing hosting services so that people could build their own websites. Um, and it was also very early days in terms of the commercials model, like the business model. It was not clear what would become the dominant business model of the internet. And so the EU kind of followed the US and we adopted a set of light touch rules shielding also most digital services from the liability for the content that was provided via the services. So for instance, a platform would not be liable for whatever went down on a specific website that the user created on their platform. Now, of course, today things look very different. And we have major social media with billions of users. We have user-generated platforms like YouTube. We have enormous online marketplaces like Amazon. And all these services uh, use algorithms to select the content that users see, to recommend certain content, also to deliver ads, and of course, also to uh, create user profiles, so to really influence uh, the user experience. So in other words, many services are now no longer passive intermediaries, but they're powerful actors in their own right with major influence on our economy, society, and democracy. And so the European Commission proposed the Digital Services Act as a successor to the, uh, the e-commerce directive to address some of these new challenges. Uh, but it looks like there are quite a few areas that can be improved. And this is exactly the focus of uh, Ms. Scheldemose's work as rapporteur. The draft report has just been completed. So it's a great time to discuss some of the areas where changes in order. So uh, welcome, Ms. Scheldemose. Really happy that you could make it uh, for this conversation. Um, and what I suggest is that we really dive immediately into some of the core topics of uh, the work of IMCO, a trade and internal market. And so in the EU, we have uh, many product safety and uh, consumer protection rules, but on online marketplaces like Amazon, they're often ignored and consumers have difficulties making good on their rights. Now, the Digital Services Act aims to improve this by giving online platforms a little bit more responsibility for the traders that use their platforms. How do you look at this? Uh, what is necessary for more effective protection of consumers? First of all, thank you very much for inviting me to this uh, podcast. And I, I really think it's an exciting time. And yes, I have just finalized my draft uh, report. And it's it's really exciting. But first, I would like to say that my intention, I mean, I will have colleagues also trying to come up with ideas in other areas. But internal market and consumer protection questions are, of course, my uh, domain and therefore I am mainly looking into these aspects and, and where it has a horizontal aspect as well. But for me, the main missing point of the Commission's proposal is exactly things related to the internal market and consumer protection. And I think that, uh, you know, uh, the Commission's proposal has put a little uh, on the edge. One size fits all. It's a horizontal legislation and they think that the same kind of obligation should go no matter what kind of services uh, you're provided and then of course they scale up on the size of a platform but 
no matter what kind of, of services, then it should more or less be the same tools uh, we should use to regulate. And I'm not agreeing on that because I think that there are a difference between having a social media platform like Facebook and having an online marketplace where you sell products. The most obvious uh, difference is that having a social media platform, you really, really, really need to be aware of the fundamental rights, the right of freedom of speech, for instance. And therefore, regulating these kind of uh, social media are more problematic and sensitive, in my opinion, than it is to make sure that we have the same kind of rules offline as online. And today in, in EU, we have a very, very long and good range of legislative rules governing the internal market. So we are making sure that we have a, a consumer protection. The consumers, they have rights, rights to regret. We have safety, product safety rules in place so they can trust or at least expect that the goods they're buying are safe. And we have a level playing field for companies. And this is not something we see online. We only see it offline. And I think it is important that we don't prioritize and give a free room for for the companies to do whatever they want as long as it's online. So I think that we need to put obligations on the marketplaces. And therefore, I'm suggesting that we, we really need to go more into giving the platforms a higher level of liability. I mean, this is a little bit technical, but yeah. today with the e-commerce directive, the platforms are exempted. They are uh, exempted from liability because we will not... When we started back in 2000 with this e-commerce directive, we didn't have the same world we have today and we needed to have innovation to take place and people were not shopping online, et cetera, et cetera. So we said, well, provide the service and you will not be responsible for what happens online. But today we are another place and therefore I think we need to make the platforms, at least online marketplaces, more liable for what is taking place there. We know, for instance, that a lot of dangerous goods are sold online from traders outside EU, but they are selling it to consumers in EU. And one of my main suggestions is to make sure that the platforms need to make sure that these traders have a responsible person in EU that will be liable for product safety. And if that trader does not have that, then the platform will become liable for product safety. And this is a kind of, you know, a tricky legal wording, but in real, you know, what it should mean is that the, the platforms will do a better effort in order to make sure that the products sold online on their platforms will be more safe. So that's the aim of this, giving the users, the, the consumers more trust in the fact that the goods they're buying are, are in fact complying with the EU safety rules. But it will also help the companies because today they have an odd situation. The companies selling online, they are not going to comply with the same kind of rules as those who are offline, and this is unfair. So for the consumers and for the businesses, I, I think that we need to have a better liability regime in place. Yeah, that sounds really that sounds really interesting. And, and it could also be a really good solution because I remember when I worked in the commission, we also looked at the goods package and we had exactly this problem like a lot of foreign sellers uh, using platforms to sell illegal products, faulty products, hazardous products. And then of course we came up with the idea, okay, they should have a representative in the EU. So if something goes wrong, authorities can contact this person and then we can solve it somehow. But of course, often they're not there, nobody checks this. And of course they can just like pop up the next day, you know, under a different name or the information they provide is simply non-existent. So they refer to a person or to an entity that doesn't even exist. And again, nobody really checks that. So I could see that making platforms somehow responsible at the end of the chain is a huge turnaround. It is, but th this is not all. I'm also saying that it will be possible for uh, the consumers to sue uh, the platform in case that they have not uh, done things in a proper manner. Uh, so 
so then it will be up to the judges to, to see whether this has been done in a good manner or not. But I think giving the consumers some rights also towards the platform is very important. But of course, uh, there are several layers in this. And of course, I'm not saying that it should be completely responsible for every product sold, but they have to make sure that the traders selling their goods have a person responsible for product safety internally in EU. And if the platforms do so, then it's also easier for a European consumer to contact this person. And therefore, uh, the platform can be exempted from liability. But I think this could be a very relatively uh, small, but important to, to make sure that uh, we can feel more safe when we are going online. And then, of course, I also think that the platforms need to be responsible for taking down dangerous uh, products. Uh, so if they are warned, they could take them down. I give them deadlines. This will probably be negotiated. Uh, we always know that deadlines are something that uh, is uh, up for negotiation. Uh, but but I think that it is important that very dangerous products need to be taken down very fast. And also giving, I also think that it is worth considering that the platform should make sure that goods that we know are dangerous should stay down so that they don't pop up again uh, within five minutes from another trader. And, and therefore, we also put on some obligations uh, for this. So. I think uh, it's all about uh, ensuring a safe online environment uh, and, and creating better product safety and, and better consumer protection, but also at the same time, a better level playing field for our companies, because I think it's so unfair that uh, companies that are not online, that they have to comply with a bigger uh, level of rules than those online uh, is unfair and creates an, an, an uneven commercial business uh, situation. No, I agree. And I think it's because in the 90s and 2000s, we adopted this more laissez-faire approach. It's now so normal that the rules are so different between what's happening online and offline that it's very difficult somehow to imagine to kind of bring them close together. Although, of course, it makes a lot of sense. You know, if you have a physical shop, it makes sense to kind of monitor what's going on inside the shop and what's being sold. So it's not that outrageous if you think about it like that. But of course, now it's difficult to imagine that. But it's interesting that you mentioned the goods package because I was working on that as well. And in the offline world, we, we have this chain of responsibility. You know, uh, the manufacturer is, of course, mainly responsible for the safety. But if you import a product, you also have some obligations. And if you distribute a product, you also have some obligation in the offline world. And that I'm trying, you know, with new tools, but in fact, try to establish the same kind of regime online so that uh, there are no difference for the consumer, whether they are shopping online or offline. So that's my aim. Okay, very clear. Let's move on to a, to a second question. Um, and this is perhaps something where you know it's coming. Uh, this is about behavioral advertisement. And this is perhaps not, I mean, it's also a core competence of IMCO, but of course it's also uh, linked to work of the colleagues in URI, et cetera. Like although platforms are of course private firms, they really also influence you know, the debate, you know, our democracy, fundamental rights. And I also think that now there's really a consensus that the current online business model is really based on surveillance and on tracking ads and really data hoarding uh, is not really sustainable. And therefore, last year, the EP really called for a ban on tracking ads with, of course, a very narrow majority. Um, now, the DSA doesn't really go as far. Eh? They impose some transparency and there's some kind of a limited requirement allowing users to opt for recommender systems, so content, system, content selection systems that are not based on profiling, but only if they're already present, which seems a bit cryptic to me. But how do you look at this? And what, what do you advocate in your report on this area? Yeah, well, this is very, very interesting. And I expect this to be one of the hot topics in the work with the DSA, how to regulate uh, the area of uh, targeted uh, 
online uh, advertisement, uh, and it is tricky. Uh, the, the the commission is trying to yeah put up some uh, obligations on transparency and then leave it there. And uh, I personally don't think that is enough. I expect that some colleagues, uh, maybe from the the Libe committee, will come up with ideas on on a on a complete ban on this uh, micro-targeting uh, advertisement. This is not IMCO competence, so I cannot suggest that. But I'm suggesting other things. And I think we need to get more uh, control of our own data. Mm-hmm. And and uh, there is no uh, doubt that this business model of the big platforms or of all platforms is, uh, in my opinion, not working very uh, well. But what I can do is that I can uh, give consumers more rights again. Mm-hmm. So, so what I am uh, intending to do is to give the consumers some protection uh, mechanisms. So I suggest that it should be by default fact that users of platforms are uh, are not being tracked. Then if you want to be tracked and having these uh, micro-targeted uh, advertisement, then you can scale down the protection. But when you start a user account, uh, you should, uh, from the start, have not getting this behavioral uh, tracking uh, ads because I think it is important that we start there. I also think that it should be easy to make these choices if you want to go up and down. So, uh, so therefore, I also hope that we can get a horizontal way of checking this so that it's the same way whether no matter whether you're using Facebook or other platforms then you have an idea because it's very complicated sometimes for consumers to find out how you put up these settings but by default you should not be exposed to this form of tracking ads uh, but if you want to and i, I know persons people colleagues uh, friends that are very uh, a big fan of this and don't mind selling their data like this well you know then they have a chance to uh, get them but I also think that we have to go uh, further on, on that. And that is, I, I think that we need to make it clear for the consumers when they are exposed to commercials. I think it is important that we do more when it comes to these influencers, because I think many people are not really aware of that influencers play this role. Yes. So we need to make sure that it needs to be in a prominent position that that you, in fact, are exposed to advertisement. And then I would also like the platforms to indicate, you know, a kind of a value of the data they are harvesting from each consumer's. So I think that it should be an obligation for the platforms to give you and me and others an idea about how much is the data they are getting from each of us worth. So I would like them to put on, you know, a kind of a, a label. I don't have any idea about how much it's worth on an individual level, but I think it could be worth knowing this. And Financial Times are using this calculation model uh, as well, or they are trying to have they have a calculation model and and they are trying to give their users an idea about how much worth their data is. So therefore, I also think that that should be a right of, of the consumers. I'm not a big fan of these pervasive uh, tracking uh, ads, uh, this micro-targeting. Uh, so I think we should do something. But I also, I'm not saying that you will not be exposed to ads because I still believe that it is okay to have, you know, ads based on geography, uh, age, uh, maybe even gender. I don't know if it's legal, but, but you know, these things, uh, because it's not on you personally. Uh, it's, you know, a group uh, and, and of course, we, we, we know that the business model of many companies is that they have a chance to reach out to consumers. But the thing is that it's this fact that they are profiling us on an individual uh, level. For instance, Facebook, they know rather much on the basis of how we act, how we behave online with Facebook. And I think that this should at least start, we should at least start giving the consumers a right not to be exposed to this micro-targeting. That, that's a very clear recommendation. So a clear option not to be profiled. 
So that would be an improvement on the DSA, I guess. Looking at the position of influences, which indeed I think now falls a little bit between the, like it's it's not really addressed head on. And looking at the data value. I think on the data value, need that, that could be very difficult. I don't know from what I understand to kind of, you know, retrieve some kind of value of individual data sets. I'm reminded of this. Um, I think there was a guy trying to sell all his data, also personal data to see what it was worth. And he got like one euro or something in the end. It's, uh, it's a bit tricky, I guess. Although I think on value of ads, that's something you can be much more transparent about. Like what kind of ads are sold? I think it's also part of the DMA. So that could also be something to explore. Um, you also mentioned that not all algorithms or let's say recommender systems are bad. And I, I fully agree. And it also brings me kind of to the next topic. So uh, but maybe I come up with one thing more on the advertising, advertisement thing. I think it is very important that those who are buying ads on Facebook and other platforms that they should know where their ads are going, where they are used, because giving them this kind of transparency, hopefully, I think that that, that will give them some uh, power also to say, no, 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 I don't want my ad to go on that site because I don't like those conspiracy theories or I don't like to have it shown in that kind of forum. So giving you know the users of Facebook's uh-huh. effective yep selling ads to, to companies, I think they need also to have more rights. And I hope that that will also maybe, you know, give less financial reasons for some of the very so nice pages on, on Facebook. Yeah, I think that could really happen. I think there was a guy um, in the US last year, he wrote a book about this, the subprime attention crisis, saying that probably if there's more transparency, most advertisers and publishers will find out that actually it's not all that effective. So perhaps then the system will kind of collapse on its own. And if you combine that then with like a default option that people can actually like add by default, they will not be tracked. It's a bit what Apple's now been doing in this new iOS uh, update. Then, you know, you might see the bubble burst uh, out of its own accord. So, and one thing is, you know, that, but, but also that they might not be so efficient. That's one thing. But the other thing is that today, many of these ads are financing, uh, you know, not very nice things, conspiracies, pages, etc. And And I'm sure that, Lego or uh, Novo or, you know, that's just to mention two big Danish companies would be very much aware of uh, how to place their uh, advertisement if they need, if they have a chance uh, to to not have them exposed to these pages on on, on Facebook, they would probably uh, prefer that. So this transparency is extremely important. So the effect and the transparency around it hopefully can do something about this pervasive uh, harvesting of our uh, data. And I'm doing it from a consumer perspective. Uh, and hopefully the Libe committee will also look into this from a more privacy perspective. That's, uh, that's really very interesting. Um, you also touched upon, well, let's say, recommended systems algorithms. And indeed, the fact that they have a lot of influence and they fuel right now disinformation, etc. But of course, they also they could also be used in a positive way, right? I mean, it could also be relevant uh, to get a certain offer that you're interested in based on certain criteria uh, or certain of the like certain characteristics uh, that I'm okay with, that I'm being, uh, let's say, profiled in that way. But I think that the problem is that, A, right now, it's up to Facebook, it's up to Amazon to decide those criteria, and you don't know a lot about it. But also, B, that there's no competition in a way, right? So Amazon, it's almost like a public utility. If you really want to find some books online, it's hard to get around it. But I cannot choose different types of algorithms. Um, and I, for instance, Natalie Helberger from the University of Amsterdam suggested perhaps an obligation to allow users to choose different recommender systems. So from third parties, for those to be allowed on the platform, I think that could also be really interesting. For instance, you can have different uh, algorithms, you know, for instance, optimizing for plurality, you know, media plurality, um, 
and, and things like that to really kind of address more the systemic concerns that we have with some of those platforms. Did you look at this at all in the report and, and are there concrete proposals you're taking here? Well, yes, I, I, I did. And I first of all, I would like to say that one of the reasons why the platforms has become uh, so big is because they do something that we like. They give us something we like and therefore we like to, to be on Facebook, for instance. It is, of course, the use of algorithms that somehow also is looking into what we would like to, to, to do and see. So it's not all negative, but I, I think one of the things is that uh, it also creates uh, some problems for us, as you just mentioned here, in many ways. And and I and I think, first of all, I, I, I'm trying to give the consumers again uh, right you know for instance not to be profiled so again uh, the algorithm should also be tackled in a way that you could avoid being getting re- recommendations based on your uh, profiling mm-hmm. uh, so you know always giving the consumers all the choices in the world more or less but i also think that that we need to ask by the platforms that they should design their uh, recommended systems in a way where we can prevent uh, what we call dark patterns or rabbit holes. Sorry, just to really explain for the listeners. So dark patterns are, let's say, tricks like in the design of a platform that kind of steer consumers into kind of choices that they didn't really consciously make. So it's essentially trickery. Yeah, exactly. They are manipulated somehow. I, I saw a television uh, in the news in Denmark about a, an American uh, lady who uh, kind of ended up not because she wanted it but she had a kind of interest in in some conspiracy theories uh, but within a very very short period of time she she was in this dark hole this rabbit hole only getting information about this because the recommender system of facebook gave her all these things and i think it is important that the platforms will get a kind of a this is maybe a little tricky to explain but a kind of a uh, must carry uh, obligation so that they have to make sure, first of all, that they don't create rabbit holes or, or, or dark patterns, but that if you are interested in certain uh, informations that tend to be misinformation, that, that they need to, to give a, a balanced information the other way around, for instance, on COVID-19 and how it can be treated or avoid to get it. We have seen, you know, people giving a lot of real crazy, uh, you know, answers to that. And, and therefore, I think it is important that Facebook ha- has already done so, making sure that you also get uh, posts from health authorities saying what is right and what is wrong on the COVID-19. But this kind of must-carry obligation uh, put into the algorithms is, is important. And I know this is tricky, uh, so, uh, so how we do it in, in practice, but I think it is important that they do consider how they're, the commission has proposed that they need to make a risk assessment on, on the algorithms. I think we should go a little further saying that they have obligations to make sure that that we have balanced information. Uh, I don't want to take away uh, information because that's narrowing down the, the freedom, the right to, to speak freely. Yeah. But I think that they need to provide the users also with more balanced information. Yeah, that, that's a bit what, what's happening now essentially on TV already. So yeah. channels have to carry certain information in the public interest. And that brings me actually because we don't have that much time. So it brings me also to the next question of national competence, because some member states have started to legislate. And for instance, in Germany, they recently adopted this interstate media treaty or law, 
where indeed they have some requirements on media plurality, um, diversity, must carry obligations. The DSA, of course, is a regulation. So I guess it would be uh, kind of superseding all the national laws. Would it mean that that essentially uh, it would make it impossible for member states to go beyond the Digital Services Act, in your opinion? For instance, on these recommended systems on Article 29? Well, that's the tricky part of making EU legislation. And, and the DSA regulation is a regulation and not a directive. And therefore, it is uh, applicable directly. But it's also a harmonized, you know, a, a maximum harmonization. So you cannot go beyond that. You have to comply with this and you cannot make a lot of other things. But I have to be honest and say that if we really want to be efficient towards the platforms, we need to have harmonized legislation in EU on this matter. And even though I'm always very keen on making sure that the consumers, for instance, are protected and, and we always make minimum uh, requirements on consumer protection, I think when, it ha when we're talking about these you know, very large online platforms, the only way we can make sure that they are uh, complying and doing things that we think is is under democratic oversight or democratic control is to make sure that this is a regulation. I think that what is important is that we are so ambitious as possible from the beginning in the DSA so that we in fact have this chance of listening to all the different concerns and interests from the member states when it comes to DSA. So we need to be ambitious. Uh, we need to do it right, but we need to be ambitious uh, on it. So I, I think that we, we need to do it in a good manner. I'm trying to give the member states, you know, first of all, I, I'm trying to speed up uh, the enforcement. So we have a lot of always a lot of long deadlines when you had to respond to things uh -huh. three months here, three months there, and then suddenly a, a year has passed without nothing happening. I'm trying to narrow that down to a minimum. Uh, and I also want to give the commission obligation to act if things are not doing done in a good manner. And I'm also giving the member states some rights to, to go together two by two, for instance, and, and ask the commission to, to act. Uh, so I, I hope that I, I will keep the structure of the enforcement uh, suggested from the commission, but with shorter time to act, because otherwise we will not see that things will happen. And also giving the member states some chances to do something. But content-wise, it is important that we do it uh, in a good manner from the beginning and that we dare to be ambitious in order to regulate the platforms because uh, the member states cannot uh, undo it and they cannot improve it afterwards. I have yeah. some questions on enforcement, which is always difficult, but you kind of answered them already. So I would suggest that uh, we close. But before that, I would like to ask you about the immediate next steps. So... Could you take the listeners through the, the global timeline following the draft report that you just yeah, shared within the parliament? Okay, it's very easy. I expect and count on the fact that we more or less exactly in a year from now, in June 2022. I'm, I'm noting this down. I'm writing this down. June 20 Okay, good. That we in June 2022 has made a political agreement on the DSA with the French presidency. But before we are there, we now I have presented my report. I will see. Uh, you know, uh, opinions given from other committees coming into IMCO, I will see that in the beginning, we will speak ourselves away from each other. We will talk uh, away from each other because we, we will start discussing what we're not agreeing on. And then in the autumn, after the summer break, hopefully we have been traveling around Europe with our no new COVID passport, uh, or I can't call it that, COVID certificate. Yeah. Then we're back and we have to start negotiating. And here we will have to find real solutions. And first, in the autumn, I will try to steer the parliament through uh, our mandate so that we have a strong and good position with a lot of good suggestions on how to regulate the platforms. And then we will sit down. I will sit down with the French presidency in uh, January 
and start the final negotiations. And I do expect that we have finalized it in June 2022. And, and now we have it recorded. But that's my ambition. I have been speaking to colleagues. All colleagues more or less agree that this should be the situation. Even the, the council, the, the presidency, the Portuguese say that, that this is perfect. I spoke to the French. They crossed yeah. their fingers because they would be so happy if we could finalize it during the French presidency uh, in the beginning of, of 2022. So that's my aim. And I have been a member of the parliament for 15 years. So I'm not just inventing this. I, I really, truly believe that it is possible to do it. We will not solve every problems here and now, but we need to solve some of them. And therefore, we need to to try to to, to go and, and do something. Definitely. And I think the report is a really good basis. I really wish you best of luck in the coming uh, negotiations with Crystal, because I think it will be really a really intense period uh, the coming months. But yeah, we really look uh, with interest to the results. And uh, yeah, I really hope that it will transform the business models and bring more accountability online. Thanks a lot for taking the time. Uh, best of luck. And yeah, I think this was a really great conversation. So thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me to this uh, chat. And uh, I'm happy to come back to you later on if you would like to hear either of the process or of the end result. Uh, but thank you very much for now. Thank you. Thank you for your attention. If you found our conversation interesting, do not hesitate to share it on social media with the hashtag FEPSTalks. More is yet to come. Stay tuned.